Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are midway through our series called, But God Didn't Say That. Midway through our series, But God Didn't Say That. And this is a very important series for a number of reasons. Probably the main reason is because as I've studied people and got to know people, I think in most of our hearts, we want to be able to help people. We want to be able to give advice and we want to be able to be there and make people feel better when they're feeling bad. Would that be fair to say? I think we live in a community and a society that wants to make statements, wants to have opinions, wants to give advice to be able to help people when they're feeling bad, which is really good. However, unfortunately, this advice that is given often comes at the expense of truth. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. And if we're not sharing the truth, we don't see people come into freedom, but they actually stay in bondage. And so this series, we are looking at things that God actually never said, although some people think God did say that. And uh, Kath kicked off our series uh, in such an incredible way uh, with this thought that God didn't say that He won't give you more than you can handle. In actual fact, God does give you things that you cannot handle. Why? So that we might rely on Him. Last week, Ashley spoke about uh, the notion that good people go to heaven and he did an incredible job of highlighting that good people do not go to heaven. In actual fact, he laboured the point that no one is good according to the Scriptures. And again, these messages that have been shared already are available on our app. They're available on podcasts. They're available on Beanpod. They're available on our website. And I would encourage you to listen to these messages, get them into your spirit and also get them into the hands of your family and friends, particularly those that would not call themselves Christians because they are very thought out, practical, well-spoken, well-articulated messages that are going to combat some of the notions that are out there. And I want to continue this theme this morning, but God didn't say that with this thought. You ready for it? God wants to make you happy. God wants me to be happy. How many of you have ever heard that one? But God just wants me to be happy. In actual fact, if you ask most people what they want in life today, I just want to be happy. What do you want to do when you go, I don't know, I just want to be happy. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You guys are amazing. There was no cue. None of you knew I was going to do that, but you clapped anyway. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. Ah. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it. This is amazing. This is like a dream come true for me. I feel like I'm leading the worship. I feel like I'm the worship leader this morning. This is amazing. This is so good. Did you sense the presence of God in my... Did you sense that? This is amazing. Just, you felt compelled to just follow. Wow. It's an amazing thing. 
amazing thing. People want to be happy. They have a pursuit of happiness. And there's this notion that when I get married, then I'll be happy. You know what? Marriage is a bit tougher than I thought. But you know what? When we have kids, then we'll be happy. (laughs) It didn't work. When I get my dream job, then I'll be happy. You're a little bit slower on the uptake with that one. Maybe my worship leading is waning. I don't know. But if I had more money then I'd be happy. And we come up with all these notions, if and when this moment happens in my life, then I'll be happy. The trouble is when we get those things, the happiness doesn't seem to last much more than our two claps. And that's because happiness was never meant to be a goal. Happiness is a moment. Happiness happens in a moment, but it's never meant to be the goal. Happiness is great, but if happiness is a goal, you'll never truly be happy. There's nothing wrong with being happy. In fact, God doesn't want us to be sad, but He doesn't want us to make happiness the goal. People often say to me, are you happily married? And I've got to be honest with you, if you followed me around 24-7 and watched everything we said and did in our home, you would conclude that we are not happily married. Not 24-7. You know, do you, do you have a happy family? <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. You know, we, we have incredible happy moments. We really do. We have a lot of fun as a family. We really do. As a married man, I have a lot of happy moments and, and, and I have a lot of fun. I, I really you know, love being married. But to say, am I happily married or, or is our family happy? It's just, it's too shallow. It's not descript enough because it, it, it talks about moments as opposed to a lifetime. People say, are you happily employed? Do you, do you enjoy what you do? And as I look around this room and think about some of the conversations we've had, I say, yes, sometimes. <laughs> no job, no matter how good it is, makes you happy all the time. Pete's nodding. He leads a business and he knows that there's incredible happy moments, but then there's some moments that are just not happy. And if you are chasing happiness, you'll never get the job. You'll never get the wife. You'll never get the kids. You'll never have anything because happiness was never meant to be the goal in our life. It's a moment. And when we adopt a theology of happiness, and that's what a lot of Christians have done, they have a theology of happiness, we conclude that whatever makes me happy must be right. This is the problem when we start saying God said when God didn't say it at all. When we start creating our own theology, we start coming up with our own ideas and then wonder why things don't work. And when we have a theology of happiness, we conclude that whatever makes me happy must be Right. Which is also to conclude, whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. If I don't like what you're saying and I don't, you don't make me feel happy, you must be wrong. 
How many of you as parents have spoken to your kids and they look at you like, you don't love me. You didn't make me happy. And so the parents, the kids conclude that the parents must be wrong. I don't like your advice. I'm not going to listen to it because I just didn't enjoy it. When we adopt a theology of happiness, we seek discomfort. We see delay and suffering and inconvenience, not as God's will. If you have a theology of happiness, how do you place discomfort? If you have a theology of happiness, how do you place delay? If you have a theology of happiness, how do you place these things, suffering? How do you place them? One of the biggest questions I get asked all the time is, why is there so much suffering in the world? And there's a, a good answer to that, one I don't have time to go into today, but a lot of it comes out because, and a lot of the confusion comes because people have this theology that God wants you to be happy, and if God wants you to be happy, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we need a theology that can handle delay and discomfort and suffering. We need a robust theology that can handle these things. You know, there's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Job. It's actually a whole book dedicated to him, J-O-B. It's not Job, it's his name, Job. And uh, obviously, because he had such a heart after God, he was put in this uh, test moment. And uh, he experienced some excruciating agony in his life. He experienced incredible loss. He lost his business. He lost his properties. And then he ultimately lost all of his children. He lost everyone in his life except for his wife. He actually lost his health. And, and he was lying on his bed and there were blisters and sores. And, and the one person that God left in his life was his wife. And she was nagging and saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Because she had no room in her theology for this kind of suffering. But Job saw God in a different light. And he was able to say in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, because he had a theology that was beyond just happiness, he said, I know this. I know that my Redeemer lives. I don't fully understand what I'm going through, but I know my Redeemer lives. We need a theology that can handle suffering. We need a theology that can handle delay. We need a theology that can handle... No, you can't do that. Isn't that what we try and get across to our kids as parents? A theology of no, you can't do that. No, wait till you're a little bit older. We need a theology that can handle these things. When we adopt a theology of happiness, we conclude that God exists to serve me. And we start to pursue comfort and money and pleasure and things. And we conclude that if God wants to make me happy and I'm not, then he failed. If you truly believe that God wants to make you happy and you're not happy, guess who gets blamed? God does. And this is why this series is so important because we've got to have a theology that's in keeping with what God said and not what we think God said. And so here's my mic drop, mind-blowing statement that I want to make this morning. And it's simply this. Your happiness is not God's highest priority. 
Your happiness is not God's highest priority. You are. Your happiness is not God's highest priority. You are. Psalm 97 says this. Verse 12. May all who are godly be happy. Then it says, in the Lord and praise His holy name. God does want us to be happy, but He wants us to be happy in Him. In other words, He doesn't want us to pursue happiness. He wants us to pursue Him. When we try and pursue happiness, we'll never find happiness because it's not something we should be pursuing. But when you find, uh, pursue God, you will find Him because that's who we should be pursuing. God is more interested in you than He is your happiness. In other words, He would rather be with you in your struggle. He'd rather be with you in your pain. He'd rather be with you in your discomfort than have you happy doing your own thing without Him. And I know this as a father to be true. I have really enjoyed the moments where my kids have come to me in their pain. And even just this week, I had the incredible privilege of being able to spend time with our youngest daughter, Bailey. And she said, hey, Dad. And she started sharing some of her concerns and some of her worries, some of her fears, some of her thoughts. And as a dad, I thought, wow, I would much rather her be struggling. I would much rather her be suffering and I'd much rather her in her discomfort and pain and coming to me than her not have those concerns, not worried what people think, not worried about the situations that others are facing and just doing her own thing and leaving me out of her life. How many, if we were honest, if we were truly happy and we had the money we wanted and we had the marriage, we had the family, we had all these things, how many of us would truly prioritise Him? See, God's not concerned so much of your happiness as He is about being with you. See, God doesn't want to make you happy, number one, when it causes us to do something wrong or unwise. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose us, is holy. God doesn't want us to be happy when we choose to do things that are wrong or when we choose to do things that are unwise. In other words, if uh, our spouse, if our wife, our husband is not meeting our needs um, and we try and find satisfaction in other things, God doesn't want us to feel happy about that. You have an extramarital affair. God doesn't want you to feel happy about that. If you start turning to pornography and, and, and other forms of gratification, God doesn't actually want us to feel happy about that. Because He's concerned about the marriage. He's concerned about the relationship. Is this making sense this morning? Yeah, you know, when it comes to premarital sex, God actually doesn't want you to feel happy about that. Because God wants you to save yourself 
for someone that you can spend the rest of your life with. That's his perfect plan. That's his desire. And now I know when I share these things, there are people here who um, haven't lived according to God's ways. And I'm not here to bring any condemnation whatsoever to you. I'm here to present God's Word so that we can actually embrace the freedom that's attached to His Word so that we can live in freedom. And so we can't do anything about the past, but we can do something about our future. And so again, please don't hear this from the place of condemnation. Hear this from a place of someone who loves you and wants the very best for you because that's why God puts these things in His Word because He wants the very best for us. And when we start concluding, we're in love, what's it matter? God will understand. Now, God actually doesn't want us to feel happy about some of the things that we want to feel happy about. You shouldn't feel good when you've done the wrong thing. You know, in actual fact, if you feel bad when you've done something bad, that is good. You know what's not good? When you feel good about doing something bad, that's bad. But when you do something good and it makes you feel good, that's good. But when you do something bad and it makes you feel good, that's bad. And when we do something bad and feel good about it, the Holy Spirit comes and brings a conviction. And we don't feel right about it. And that's God loving us, saying there's a better way. There's a better way of doing these things. And I'm so glad that I serve a God that isn't so consumed with my comfort and so consumed with my happiness that He lets me do whatever I want to do and doesn't bring warnings and showcase to me that actually that's not very helpful. I know when I've been too heavy-handed with people. I love my family. I really do. But I don't always get those moments right. And as a dad, I say some things and I do some things that, that are out of line. They're certainly not in keeping with the will of God. They're certainly not in keeping with what a dad should be saying or doing in those moments. And I tell you, I've got to be honest with you. When that happens, I feel really bad. And I'm so grateful that I do because the way I feel leads to a place of repentance. It leads to me back to my family to say sorry. It leads to back to restoration. See, it's not about condemnation, feeling bad and leaving it there. No, God wants to stir us so it leads us back to Him, so it leads us back to our relationships that we've left. When we feel bad about things, it leads to ownership, repentance, forgiveness and restoration. Secondly, God doesn't want us to feel happy when it hinders our eternity. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers. For when the love of the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from God, but they are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, our decisions that we make today determine how we spend our eternity. And uh, many of you would know the relationship I have with my dad. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a really good one. It's a healthy one. It's one I'm so grateful for. Um, but I remember many, many years ago, 
When I was um, living at home and uh, I was a young apprentice and working with my dad and, and I got to see him on his good days, I got to see him on his frustrated days, I got to see him on days where things weren't going very well for us. I, I remember one day we were down Salisbury Toyota, which is now Peter Kettle Toyota down on the corner of Main North Road and uh, whatever it is, Kester's Road or whatever it is, and, and uh, I, I thought I was doing a good thing. I was rolling uh, the, the paint on this sign, ready for it to be sign written, and but what I didn't allow for was, was the wind. There was a high wind factor that day. And as I was rolling this white paint on this massive sign, high up in the air, the wind was taking all this spattering and just landing on many, 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 many brand new cars. <laughs> and uh, i got to be honest with you, that wasn't a good day. And uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of damage control. And so I got to see Dad on his good days. I got to see Dad on his sad days. I got to see him on his frustrated days. I got to see him on his downright mad days. And one thing I, I have really appreciated about my dad's response to all of the good, the bad and the ugly days that we have, he was able to cap it with this, hey, Tone, you know what? In light of eternity, what's that matter? I would receive my correction, I would receive my rebukes, I'd receive my cuddles, I'd receive my love. Whatever I needed, I would get, but it was always finished and concluded with this, hey, in light of eternity, what's it matter? You know what, Tone? In 100 years from now, we're not going to be around here. But 10,000 years from now, the decisions we make here on planet Earth are going to have a bearing thousands of years from now. God doesn't want us to feel happy about things that are going to hinder our eternity. Heaven is a place where there's no more tears, no poverty, no sickness. And God wants us to be a part of his new world. He wants us to be a part of his eternity. He wants to be part of his eternal life. And so anything that makes us miss that mark, miss that moment, he doesn't want us to feel happy about because he wants us to spend all time and eternity with him. In actual fact, every person on the planet is going to be asked two questions. The first question that God will ask us when we go and meet him and stand before him face to face, as the Bible declares that we will, the first question is this. God's going to say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the gift that I gave you? This gift represented a sacrifice that was given for your sins. What did you do with him? And for every believer, every person that's given their life to Christ we give them to say I realised I was a sinner I realised my sin separated me from you and I received Jesus into my heart as the atoning sacrifice for all the things that I've done wrong, past, present and future and I received him into my heart and I received him in my life as my Lord and my Saviour you see the way we answer that question determines where we spend eternity for those that receive Jesus, we get to spend all eternity with God. And those that do not receive Jesus get to spend eternity without God. But the second question we get asked as Christians is this. What did you do with what I gave you? Because every one of us has been given gifts and talents. And how we answer that question determines how we spend eternity. And again, how I see that moment is much like an award ceremony where we're all winners. We're all winners, but 
there are some people that are overachievers, you know what I'm saying? You've been to those awards and we're all on the winning side and we're all getting awards, but some are just getting a little bit more than others because of what they did and what they achieved. And, and I, I see that's what's going to happen in heaven. And I don't want to miss what it is that God has for me in eternity because of the decisions that I made here on planet Earth. And so when I feel convicted, when I feel wrong, about doing something that's wrong, I say, thank you, God, that you love me so much. Thank you, God, that you're more committed to my growth than my happiness. And I'm so grateful for that because he has your eternity in mind, not just your today in mind. Does that make sense? Just as uh, the keys come up, I want to finish with this one thought. God doesn't want to make you happy. He wants to bless you. You see, God doesn't want to make you happy, he wants to bless you. The word blessed simply means to be well off, fortunate, to be envied and to be more than happy. God actually doesn't want you to be happy. It's, it's too shallow. It's too small. God wants you happier than happy. That's what the word blessed means. It means to be happier than happy. Don't sell yourself short with mere happiness, momentary feelings. God wants so much more for you than that. You see, this blessed life does not mean that you won't ever get sick. I, I grew up, I'm 50 years of age, and I, I grew up in a, in a time when I was a teenager in my early 20s that you, know, you weren't allowed to make a negative confession. So if you were sick, you weren't allowed to say you were sick, which I thought was ridiculous. So we had all these people around with snotty noses and they, they couldn't see their eyes because they, did, they, did, they felt terrible. You say, hey, you're feeling a little bit sick. No, 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 I'm the head and not the tail. I like, wow, really? You just sound really sick. And, and you'd probably be better off right now admitting you're sick and laying down in bed and, and just getting over your sick. No, I'm not sick. I'm like, really? I think you're sick in the head. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just crazy. Like, Really? And we had, a, we had a community and a world watching on thinking, you guys are crazy. And they were right. They were right. But we had a faulty theology that said, you can't say a negative confession. No, faith can face the facts. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, that he couldn't have kids in his own strength, but it never wavered through unbelief concerning the promises of God. No, he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do that which he had promised. Faith can face the facts. So if you're not feeling well, you can actually admit it. Yeah, I felt better. I felt better. And yesterday my sickness got the better of me and I never got out of bed. That's okay. It's okay. Doesn't, a blessed life doesn't mean you'll never be sick. A, a blessed life doesn't mean you won't ever lose your job. It, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be fully understood. It doesn't mean you're always going to be flavour of the month. It doesn't mean you might lose a few Instagram followers. We get so offended that they, they, they stop following me. Where's the blessed life? They stop following me. And likewise, a blessed life doesn't always mean you're going to get healed. Yeah, we've got to be really sensitive, church, that we don't put things on people. That if they don't get healed, it's their fault because they didn't have enough faith. Right throughout church history, we see people dying. In actual fact, everyone in church history has died. How <laughs> about that? And I promise you this, most people in this room in 100 years from mine, we're not going to be here. So we're all going to die. How's that for an encouraging thought? 
but, but, but I, I wouldn't want people who have been given a terminal disease to live in one day of condemnation because they're not getting healed. Because of well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians who don't know their Bible enough putting things on people. We're going to be bigger than that. We're going to be bigger than that. What I know is kingdom living is bigger than just healing. There's so many attributes to the kingdom of God. And so living the blessed life doesn't always mean you're going to get healed. Our 2016, Kath referred to it for the first time in a long time in her preach to the women. And it got me thinking back to 2016. Yeah, it really was a crazy year. Lost our youth pastor to a lightning strike. I mean, what, what the... And then Kath had a cancer scare and Mitchie broke his arm and I had a blood infection that almost took my life. Then I had to have heart surgery all in the same year. Where's God? I'll tell you where he was, where he's always been. <laughs> what happens to me doesn't change who he is. <laughs> where are you, God? He's right where he's always been. And so when I was almost dying and my body was shutting down, I knew like I knew, like I knew that God was in control. And whether I live or whether I die, God is in control. And I remember, church, I want you to know this. I face this fact. What could be worse than dying? And, and I asked myself that question because my body was shutting down and I, I was preparing to meet Jesus. And I thought, what could be worse than dying? And I thought, I know what's worse than dying. And it was the speed in which the answer came that shocked me. I didn't have to think about it. It just came. It was there. It was like my whole life I've been, I've been waiting to ask myself this question. And I had this moment to ask myself this question. What's worse than dying? And I knew like I knew like I knew it was this. Living and losing my testimony. Surviving this moment and whinging and complaining about how unjust God is. I thought, my kids don't need that. My wife doesn't need that. And this precious church doesn't need that. And I remember reading a book by John Piper saying, don't waste your cancer. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to so use this story against the devil. I'm not going to waste a moment of it. I'm not going to waste a drop of what's happened to me. My near-death experience is only going to serve the purposes of highlighting the goodness and the greatness of God. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm going to get better. And I believe that can be true for you. But that came out of a strong theology that my happiness and my comfort and my well-being is not God's highest priority. I knew that. But He wants me and He wants to grow me. That's what God wants to do in you. He's not so preoccupied with your comfort as He is with your growth. He wants each and every one of us to grow in Him. So, so, so what does this blessed life mean? Can I tell you? A, a blessed life means that you can have comfort in your pain. See, this is happier than happy. Happiness only happens when things are going well. But this blessed life, you can experience something greater than happiness all the time. You can actually experience a comfort in your pain. You can experience a peace in your storms. This is an account where Jesus is asleep on the boat and this storm just rages. And Jesus is asleep. He's got his head on a pillow and he's asleep and the disciples are freaking out. And they wake him up and say, don't you care? Quick question, is there anyone in the planet who's cared more than Jesus? And he got accused of not caring. That tells me something, that we don't understand what true care looks like. 
Jesus was trying to teach His disciples as He's trying to teach us that actually you can have a peace in your storm. And then He gets up and He rebukes the storm and they were amazed. But that wasn't the biggest miracle to me. The bigger miracle than Jesus rebuking the storm is Jesus sleeping in the storm. This blessed life means that we can have strength in weakness. It means that we can have joy in trials. Much of the New Testament that Paul wrote, he wrote from a prison cell, but you'd never know based upon the language he uses because there's extreme joy, particularly the book of Philippians. Many, many times you hear Paul referring to joy. What's have you got to be joyful about? He says, ah, because I have a relationship with God. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's been a long weekend. (laughs) Bananas are great. Who likes bananas? In that very small window that they're actually edible. They're either... Yeah? Yeah? They're either not ripe enough because they're green or they're brown and too ripe. And you've got about a window of about an hour that you can actually eat them. (laughs) Am I right? But in that hour, gee, they're nice. But a banana is fruit and fruit is grown. See, the Bible talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what I know about Gifts, gifts are given. And God gives out gifts to people. And His gifts are irrevocable. So, so however you choose to live your life, you'll have that gift with you for the rest of your life. You have the gift of prophecy. If God gives you the ability to prophesy, you'll have that for the rest of your life, no matter how you live your life. It's a gift from Him. It's irrevocable. Just like if I gave someone a car, whether they're on drugs or not, they still get the car. Whether they're sleeping around or not, they've still got the car. It's a gift. God gives gifts. That's, that's on him. That's his prerogative. That's just part of his generous nature. I'm just going to bless you, Abe. I'm just going to give you gifts. You're an incredibly talented man because of God's gift. He just, and seriously, that gift will never go. No matter what you do, you're just gifted. Abe makes incredible things. It's just amazing. Lee asks for something one day and the next day it's made. It's a boom. It's just a gift. And no matter how he chooses to live his life, that gift will always be there. Would that be fair to say? We see some evangelists over the last few decades living anointed lives. They they prophesy, they they do all this stuff, but their lives are a mess. That's because there's a gift that was given and God doesn't take that gift back. But fruit's different. Fruit isn't something that's given. Fruit is something that grows. And the Bible talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are given, but fruit is grown. The fruit of the Holy Spirit grows in you as we grow in God. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says that the, gifts of, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. You can't pray for those things. He's like, God, give me patience. Who's prayed that prayer? It's not going to happen. He'll give you situations and circumstances that will test your patience so you rely on Him and grow through it. 
but the reason we often don't grow because you know what when you give me this situation to grow in my patience it doesn't make me happy and now I'm conflicted because I actually want to be happy but I also want to grow in patience but how am I going to grow in patience by putting me in situations that don't make me happy now I'm conflicted that's why this series is so important who wants to grow in their patience (laughs) I'm fine I'm good You know what's amazing? Those that know me will know this to be true. I'm not a patient person by nature. I'm just not. 25 years of leading ministry, I'm no more patient. I'm not a patient person by nature. It's like God hasn't changed my nature. But as I've walked with Him and I've grown in Him, I have a history and a track record of patience. Because I've grown in the gift of patience. Because of situations and circumstances that have come my way which I didn't like, been misunderstood, been abused, been betrayed, let down, as you have. But I realised in those moments, God's more concerned about me than He's concerned about my happiness. And so if I respond well, I might just grow in the fruit of the Spirit. I might just actually become more patient through this. Happiness is wonderful, but it's only based on happenings. But joy can be something with you when you're in hospital. And you're fighting for your life. That wasn't a happy time for me, but oh my gosh, I found God. And I found joy like I've never experienced before. And something grew in me. And so I just feel like I'm a smorgasbord of all this incredibly amazing fruit that God wants to grow not only in me but in you too. But if you are truly committed to growing, oh, so good. So who wants more joy? Paul found it in prison. Let me ask you another question. Who wants to go to prison? Some of you just keep living the way you're going and you'll be there. That's fine. (laughs) We have a lot of fun in this church. We've been accused of all kinds of things. We're just an entertainment centre. We we don't go deep. We just do shallow. We just tell stories. We don't preach the word. I, I think I'm preaching the word today. But we try and be relevant. We eat apples while we do it. That's not going to stop. If you're in the place, as a band come. Something of what I've shared tonight, today resonates with you and you want to grow. If you want to grow in the area of love, If you want to grow in the area of joy, peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility and self-control, if you want to grow in these areas, who would agree with me if the world grew in those areas, it'd be a better world? So if you want to grow in those areas, why don't you stand right now, right where you are. I'm standing up here with you. Gifts are given. Gifts are given. Fruit is grown. 
And for fruit to grow, a seed has to be buried. For fruit to grow, that seed has to die before it lives. For us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we have to be buried in Him. And we have to die to our old way of living. We will never truly bear fruit outside of Him. Your best intentions, your best efforts, with all your gifts and talents, will never bear the fruit that God wants us to bear in and of ourselves. It's only found in Him, not in your happiness. It's not found in your happiness. I wasn't pointing anyone specifically. I wasn't, I just pointed. It wasn't found in your comfort. It's not found in your bank balance. It's not found in your gift. It's found in Him. I was reduced to tears on the front row last week when Pastor Ash was sharing an incredible word about how bad we all are. Because it just hit me afresh that I'm a miserable sinner, a miserable wretch, but for God's goodness, but for His grace. And He plucked me out of that miry clay and set me upon a rock. And I didn't do anything to deserve that. And I was just reduced to tears thinking about how good is God. And that truth has not changed for me. As I've got more skilled at my craft, but as the church has grown, that truth has not changed for me. I'm so indebted and I'm so grateful to Jesus. And I don't want to use the freedom that I have in Jesus to live a life of what I want to do. I want to live a life that pleases Him and brings glory and honour to His name in this place. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 